0: And welcome to another great edition of the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in. However you're doing, so be it through 103.7thegame.com, the free 103.7 The Game mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, Stitcher, and any other way you consume your favorite podcasts, you can get us any which way. And it's been a busy week for professional wrestling as per the use, so let's waste little time and get right into the three count. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world of pro wrestling, and one of those is without a doubt what's going on with Impact Wrestling. They had a positive COVID test last week, right before they started wrapping up their tapings for the year 2020. It turns out it was Ethan Page, all ego, announced it on Twitter yesterday that he won't be able to perform at the ACW Wisconsin show on December the 4th, the upcoming event. They came in contact with someone. It was COVID positive. We'll need to quarantine for about 14 days. And that'll wrap up his 2020 schedule. Also put sorry WB Hornswoggle. Don't forget that Hornswoggle actually fought uh, Ethan Page during the most recent impact, which was absolutely hilarious. The fact they had Hornswoggle cosplaying as your favorite person in the world, AJ Styles. And then we had some sad news earlier in the week. And I have to say, this one, this one hit really hard when I saw it over the weekend with the news that Jimmy Rave is going to have to retire from professional wrestling due to having his left arm amputated. He put out a huge, like note on this he says quote i've been blessed for the last 21 years in professional wrestling to, in getting to live out my dream today that dream has ended for me and i have a new reality this past tuesday my world came crashing down when doctors found an infection in my left arm i tried toughing it out but by the time i saw a doctor it was too late and they had to amputate my left arm above the elbow that ends his career he goes on to say that i appreciate everyone who has supported me or anyone who has pegged me with a roll of toilet paper. For my brothers and sisters I have shared the ring with or locker room, thank you for always pushing me to be better. Thank you to all my mentors and my students who allow me to still feel needed. This is the hardest thing I ever had to type. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to DM me. Please take your health much more seriously than I did. I am so sorry for anyone I have let down. And he ends up by saying support pro wrestling. When I saw that, it hit a certain way for me. Because I was a huge fan of... Impact wrestling in the early, like the mid 2000s, I was very much still watching a lot of WWE, but I wound up like drifting over towards Impact, or at the time it was TNA wrestling. I remember just watching that a lot when I was on the Fox box and watching all that stuff. Then watching when they switched over to Spike, I didn't see any of this stuff from the Real Player, Real Player era, but watching Jimmy Rave do his thing with Lance Hoyt, now Lance Archer. As the rock and rave infection the, with the guitar hero controls, the gimmick was really cool, and it like it showed that TNA, unlike maybe other promotions like the WWE, they wanted to take a chance on something that's like, oh hey, this is hot. This is what everybody's talking about. Let's go ahead and put a gimmick into into this, and let's see how it works. And I think that was entertaining. Jimmy Rave may not have been the best wrestler, but he was damn entertaining. I think at the end of the day, that's what really stood out to me when I think about the legacy that he is going to leave in the sport of professional wrestling so I wish him nothing but the best in his post wrestling career I'd love to get him on down the road but once again thank you to Jimmy Rave the other thing that kind of caught my eye earlier this week is Dark Side of the Ring season 3 already got announced but apparently there was one episode that is was talked about but now will not happen and that is a episode involving the late China. And it's coming from Wrestling Inc. Talking about the exclusive announcement about this. Saying that they were going to. But apparently, you know, they were talking about it. it was going to be a two-hour version. And according to former manager Anthony Anzaldo, who was part of a, an interview series with Wrestling Inc. Called Documenting China. mentioned It was a two-hour version. They want me so bad because they know the story isn't told without me. And he is not giving them the rights but while they claim they still have the rights because I signed a release when I did my sit-down. He also continued to dispute that he did not sign a release for Dark Side and that any footage, including him, could not be used. He also claimed that the producers offered him fifteen hundred dollars to do a sit down. In response, Wrestling Inc. reached out to Evan Husty, who issued the following statement There are no plans for an episode about China for an upcoming up- upcoming season of Dark Side of the Ring. As the started pre-production earlier this year, we became aware of multiple projects that were currently in production about China, and thus we ultimately decided against pursuing this as a future subject. So hopefully we do get that down the road, but right now it looks like we'll be getting a documentary on the life of China that was cut way too short. But it's amazing the fact that that was actually being bandied about that it was even remotely an idea. But hopefully we do get that dark side of the ring because I think it's honestly a really interesting subject as opposed to a lot of the other ones. I think we're going to get to that inevitably, maybe season four or five, but it feels like after season two, the first two seasons, you expected a lot of those. Now it's trying to figure out what are some of the deeper cuts in terms of the true dark side of professional wrestling. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world of pro wrestling. And one of those is without a doubt what's going on with impact wrestling. They had a positive COVID test last week right before they started wrapping up their tapings for the year 2020. It turns out it was Ethan Page, all ego, announced it on Twitter yesterday that he won't be able to perform at the ACW Wisconsin show on December the 4th, the upcoming event. They came in contact with someone it was COVID positive, won't need to quarantine for about 14 days, and that'll wrap up his 2020 schedule. also put, sorry, WB Hornswoggle. Don't forget that Hornswoggle actually fought... Uh, Ethan Page during the most recent Impact, which was absolutely hilarious. The fact that he had Hornswoggle cosplaying as your favorite person in the world, AJ Styles. And then we had some sad news earlier in the week, and I have to say, this one one hit really hard when I saw it over the weekend, with the news that Jimmy Rave is going to have to retire from professional wrestling due to having his left arm amputated. He put out a huge like note on this he says quote i've been blessed for the last 21 years in professional wrestling and getting to live out my dream today that dream has ended for me and i have a new reality this past tuesday my world came crashing down when doctors found an infection in my left arm i tried toughing it out but by the time i saw a doctor it was too late and they had to amputate my left arm above the elbow that ends his career he goes on to say that i appreciate everyone who has supported me for anyone who has pegged me with a roll of toilet paper. For my brothers and sisters I have shared the ring with or locker room, thank you for always pushing me to be better. Thank you to all my mentors and my students who allow me to still feel needed. This is the hardest thing I ever had to type. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to DM me. Please take your health much more seriously than I did. I am so sorry for anyone I have let down. And he ends it by saying, support pro wrestling. When I saw that, it hit a certain way for me. Because I was a huge fan of... Impact Wrestling in the early, like the mid 2000s, I was very much still watching a lot of WWE, but I wound up like drifting over towards Impact, or at the time it was TNA Wrestling. I remember just watching that a lot when I was on the Fox Box and watching all that stuff. Then watching when they switched over to Spike, I didn't see any of this stuff from the Real Player, Real Player era, but watching Jimmy Rave do his thing with Lance Hoyt, now Lance Archer. As the rock and rave infection with the guitar hero controls, the gimmick was really cool, and it like it showed that TNA, unlike maybe other promotions like the WWE, they wanted to take a chance on something that's like, oh hey, this is hot. This is what everybody's talking about. Let's go ahead and put a gimmick into into this, and let's see how it works. And I think that was entertaining. Jimmy Rave may not have been the best wrestler, but he was damn entertaining. I think at the end of the day, that's what really stood out to me when I think about the legacy that he is going to leave in the sport of professional wrestling so I wish him nothing but the best in his post wrestling career I'd love to get him on down the road but once again thank you to Jimmy Rave the other thing that kind of caught my eye earlier this week is Dark Side of the Ring season 3 already got announced but apparently there was one episode that is was talked about but now will not happen and that is an episode involving the late China. And it's coming from Wrestling Inc. Talking about the exclusive announcement about this. Saying that they were going to. But apparently, you know, they were talking about it. it was going to be a two-hour version. And according to former manager Anthony Anzaldo, who was part of a, an interview series with Wrestling Inc. Called Documenting China. mentioned It was a two-hour version. They want me so bad because they know the story isn't told without me. And he is not giving them the rights while they claim they still have the rights because I signed a release when I did my sit-down. He also continued to dispute that he did not sign a release for Darkseid and that any footage, including him, could not be used. He also claimed that the producers offered him $1,500 to do a sit-down. In response, Wrestling Inc. reached out to Evan Husty, who issued the following statement, There are no plans for an episode about China for an upcoming upcoming season of Side of the Ring." As the started pre-production earlier this year, we became aware of multiple projects that were currently in production about China, and thus we ultimately decided against pursuing this as a future subject. So hopefully we do get that down the road, but right now it looks like we'll be getting a documentary on the life of China that was cut way too short. But it's amazing the fact that that was actually being bandied about, that it was even remotely an idea. But hopefully we do get that dark side of the ring, because I think it's honestly a really interesting subject as opposed to a lot of the other ones. I think we're going to get to that inevitably, maybe season four or five, but it feels like after season two, the first two seasons, you expected a lot of those. Now it's trying to figure out what are some of the deeper cuts in terms of the true dark side of professional wrestling. All right. With the three count out of the way, let's get right into what happened this week in the actual squared circle. And trust me, there was a lot of really cool things that happened this week. And let's just start off with Monday Night Raw, the night after Survivor Series. The show opens. Team Raw and Adam Pearce, which, by the way, I absolutely love the fact, this is something I would never brought up, is I find it so cool that the former NWA World Heavyweight Champion is given a significant role on TV like this. They're all in the ring. But it's just saying, like Adam Pearce was a guy that was such a huge deal in the National Wrestling Alliance. It was a big reason why he became like a... A little bit of a bigger deal than it probably could have been in any other year. Like back in the early 2010s, his best of seven series with Cole Cabana, something I would need to go back and watch. The seven levels of hate was absolutely amazing in the early, in like the 2010s. And then that kind of just faded away, and they both left the NWA. And the rest, as they say, was history. Adam Pierce now with the WWE, and he's more just a producer and a backstage hand. Now he is actually being treated like a GM role for both brands. So I think that's really cool. The fact they have low-key given him this kind of role, especially on Monday Night Raw. Pierce announces that one of the members will be named number one contender for Drew McIntyre's WWE Championship. Starts running everybody down, and everyone starts laying their claim for opportunity. Riddle really makes me realize how bad he is at promos. Relatively speaking, he did have a promo that was solid later on. I think it was just the comedic timing worked really well. But outside of that, he sucks at promos. Braun Strowman is mentioned last, saved the best for last. And Braun Strowman is basically triggered by that and headbutts the Raw GM commissioner. They haven't given Adam Pearce an official role, but he's always around part of significant storylines. This is another example of that. Again, love the idea. And that segment was weird, and it made me think that WWE cannot build off of a great show they had the night before. Because they had a really solid Survivor Series. I don't care what anybody says. I thought it was really good. Then you go to a backstage segment earlier in the day between the New Day and the Hurt Business. Why didn't they use this on social media before the show? I don't know, but that would have been a nice thing to do to hype up a tag team title match between the New Day and the Hurt Business, which I've mentioned I would love to see more matches between these two, and we got one for the Raw Tag Team Championship. And Shelton Benjamin dominated very early on in the contest, targeting Xavier Woods' shoulder, and then Kofi comes out like a house of fire, but Cedric dumps him out of the ring and it results in a countout. and it felt like the ref was very quick to counting to 10 it was like probably one of the fastest 10 counts i've ever seen and it just sat there i was like what's going on then mvp goes to the group into restarting the match and he gets his wish as they go to break and it made you like really wonder why that had to be a thing because But then you remember, New Day didn't even want to have the match. Kofi was saying, like, let's take the night off. They just had a hard-fought contest against the Street Profits. So, who knows? But Kofi brought the heat right out the gate after the break and peppered Alexander with punches before being thrown out and hurts his knee. And they continued to work that knee for a good bit of the match. It was great storytelling from their part. It's basically they're using that knee to be able to keep Kofi Kingston alone on island, isolating him from Xavier Woods from time to time. But also the fact that his knee... Wasn't necessarily perfect to where they were able to control that part of the contest. So, again, absolutely love that idea. It was a great way to put over. Once Xavier Woods got the hot tag, he was able to take over, turns it around, and gets the win after countering a powerbomb. I believe this was from Benjamin. And Benjamin is countered. Sunset bomb. New Day retains. Well done, match. And I want to see more of these because I think these guys could put on bangers. You don't need to have kind of the overbook finish like we just saw. But I'm looking forward to seeing this be a more like potential, like top level match at a pay per view like TLC or even the Royal Rumble because I think they could put this together. After multiple backstage segments featuring Adam Pearce and his medical updates after getting headbutted, he decides he's going to book a triple threat match for next week to determine the number one contenders, and there will be three singles qualifiers. The winners from that will be in a triple threat match on next week's Raw to determine the number one contender for Drew McIntyre's title. Not Drew McIntyre as Adam Pierce said, which is still a weird thing, but it made sense all things considered because he did have a concussion and also had a big old knot on his head after getting button by Braun, who is suspended indefinitely, but apparently it's due to injury. That's why they're suspending him. But, man, the first one right out the gate, Riddle versus Sheamus, this was perfect. Like This was one of my favorite matches of the week outside of Survivor Series type stuff. It was a banger of a match to put on during an episode of Raw. Hard-hitting as hell, and I started to love that kind of stuff a lot more. After all, it is called Cajun Strong Style. So it's definitely more, I love the Strong Style type of wrestling. And these two just were absolutely being stiff throughout the the bout. Uh, every move that Sheamus hit just absolutely looked brutal. It was a rapid fire finish. Sheamus ducked the PK. Riddle hit the final flash, knee for two. Sheamus hits the white noise off the second rope for a near fall, which looked brutal. And then Riddle gets the win after rolling, after roll up, countering out of the Texas Cloverleaf, which is something I don't see Sheamus do enough. But I love the fact that he brought that back for like at least one match only. He's done it many times before. In fact, if he was a sig- uh, finisher, he had in like 2012, but he used it for like a hot minute and then basically walked away from it. The fact that they brought this move back is perfect. And it was a great match between two guys that worked that hard-hitting style really well. I mean, in MMA, Matt Riddle knows how to put together a believable like work-shoot fight. And this was exactly what I expected. It was hard-hitting as hell. I mean, the finish was really cool, too. The fact i have never seen somebody... Actually counter out of the Texas Cloverleaf into a roll-up. It was like almost like a small package slash mousetrap, but it worked really well. And it was a solid like second match on the card And after a really like, halfway decent New Day Hurt Business match. And then you get to Firefly Funhouse, and we get to see this segment. And I've been loving the Firefly Funhouses as of late. And this was another prime example. Because the subject for it was friendship, because obviously you're building the Alexa Bliss-Nikki Cross match coming up, but you're also kind of bringing back the Fiend-Orton feud, and you're starting to really work towards that. Because, of course, Bray's saying, you know, friends will always stab you in the back. And basically, he talked about the burning of the house, or the white compound, back in 2017. So it's all building towards Fiend-Orton Probably not at TLC, but maybe at the Royal Rumble. I almost hope it would be just at the Royal Rumble, rather than you have like one match where Bray, Lu lo- or the Fiend loses to Orton, and the next month they have like a cinematic match at the Rumble. I'd much rather them like slow burn this whole thing. But we get a new member of the Funhouse with Friendship Frog, but the Friendship Frog doesn't last long because he gets killed by Bliss like a minute later. And I love the fact we got a full tribute for the Frog. Because the frog was like 40 years old, which is amazing considering the lifespan of a frog typically. I Googled this. It was about 10 to 12 years. I did not realize that. But, you know, that's the way they want to do this. That's okay. But I loved this Firefly Funhouse segment. It was just the right amount of funny and everything else in there. It all made sense. It all kind of like tied together in a nice way. Then we get to the Raw Women's Championship match, Asuka versus Lana. And, of course, it kind of recaps everything that happened over the last nine weeks and, more importantly, what happened the night before at Survivor Series with Lana being the sole survivor. It was all set up that night because Asuka misunderstood Lana and said, hey, do you want a title shot? And, basically, she got a title shot live on Raw. And just as the match starts, Jackson and Baszler come out to ringside for commentary. And they Asuka and Lana are, are brawling. Asuka gets outside the ring after... Missing a baseball slide. And then the Raw Women's Tag Team Champions are talking trash. And she causes them to assault her to cause a DQ finish. So the match ends. And just they go for the signature. someone drop through the table. Lana saves the day as they go to break. And that sets up, of course, the Teddy Long Special. A tag team match. Holla, 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 playa. And this was a really good one. I wasn't a huge fan of the fact that this continues to be an ongoing gimmick in WWE. It feels like I've gotten burnt out. On the have a match, ends into this qualification, and then at one point, somehow, someway becomes a tag team match. Just not a fan. But this was good enough. It was short and sweet to the point Asuka gets the win with the roll-up, and we're 3-for-3 three three win matches, ending with the roll-up tonight. Again, the sunset bomb, and then you have the roll-up out of the Texas Cloverleaf, which looked cool. Asuka's was just a underwhelming one. And no one goes through a table. Lana finally, after nine weeks, does not get put through a table. <laughs> I laughed at that. But I'm just still waiting to see Lana get her come and beat the bully at her own game. Maybe in a, I would love to see this be a tables match at TLC because it makes the most sense. It's a perfect way to blow off this feud and give Lana like a big opportunity to be taken a lot more seriously, but you know, I don't necessarily see that being a thing considering the fact that Miro doesn't necessarily like to be taken seriously in AEW either, considering he's just a gamer. And this is something I haven't talked about much on this on this podcast, but the backstage exchanges between Riddle and MVP were absolutely hysterical. I love the I'm not your bro bit and, you know, like the way Riddle just straight up went, oh, like immediately MVP had to like stop everything to keep his composure and I could not stop laughing that like, he was able to, catch him off of his game with that, oh, it was perfect. And I've I've been laughing about that the last few days. But it all builds towards the next segment. Bobby Lashley, Keith Lee. And, man, I love Keith Lee's new theme song. Way better than the one he had when he got called up with the generic, like, rock music number 55. This was perfect. It was very well done in the way it was produced. It, it, it was Keith Lee's actual vocals, more like almost chopped and screwed to a certain extent, but it worked. And this was one of my favorite matches of the night. I love Riddle Sheamus. This one got to another level. So because the fact that it was just two big meaty men going hard in the paint, early touches of strength, and it was just a big hoss fight the rest of the way. I like the fact that the I couldn't stop like laughing at this because... Every time Lashley tried to get the hurt lock in, he just couldn't. The mass of Keith Lee, the big man, could not have the hurt lock locked in. And it was so much like fun to see every time he would try and do it, and it would every time fail miserably. But here's here's where the match kind of like it was weird, and it looked like Lashley took the worst of this move when they went to break because Lashley picked up Lee, threw him into the ring post. And it looked like he basically hit the side of his head. And I'm talking about Lashley. Hit the side of his head onto the ring post. Because his head was gushing. And like, it was just, what the hell's going on? And they go to break. They come back. I mean, Lashley looked absolutely busted open. But at the end of the match, sees MVP run interference. And runs lead to the ring post. And then you see Keith Lee almost get counted out. And then Lashley tries to get the hurt lock in. Again, fails once more. But he wanted to decide oh, I'm just going to go ahead and put this thing into a turn uh, to do a sleeper hold and then Lee counter by dropping him. He basically went ahead and do, did like a backpack slam which was really cool. And MVP ran in to cause the DQ and save Lashley from suffering a loss. Ruined an overall really good Hoss match. I just don't like a DQ finish, especially in something like this where it's a match to determine no more contenders. This should be uh, something I've always kind of liked about AEW a lot more is the fact that you have like DQs, but they're rarely, if ever, used. Because every match, win-loss should matter, and it should be a true, clean win. Or if it's a dirty win, it's not necessarily a DQ finish. Like It at least has some sensibility to it. The next match was Alexa Bliss, taking Cross. This is the 2nd last match of the night. A lot of promos, a lot of video packages, but this was a really fun match. Match with Nikki Cross just dominating. Is her plan was to just beat the fiend out of Alexa Lowball, That did not happen, but it was it was really entertaining. The way the match started off with Alexa Bliss playing the you know the happy go lucky, playing the slap hands game to start the match was funny to me, and it fit the Bliss character so much right now. I'm not gonna lie, I pop for it. But it was Nikki beating her down, and every time she'd hit her with a clothesline, Bliss would come up smiling. Later on, Bliss has a complete breakdown, but it all is trying to lure in Cross with a false insecurity. And then Bliss hits it's almost like a Sister Abigail, but it felt more like a flatliner. Remember, Canyon used to do that back in the day. It was very similar to that move. And it was really cool the fact that you were continuing to progress the story. Of Alexa Bliss being the fiend's fiend equivalent of Harley Quinn. I've enjoyed the story so far, and I'm hoping there is more to it. Then we get to the main event of the night. It is AJ Styles versus Randy Orton. All night long, they hyped this up as a WrestleMania caliber match. yet Despite the fact we've seen this match a couple of times before. But this was still good. It was a very solid match. Good storytelling by Orton and Styles after the knee was targeted. Styles just kept going after that knee, even going for the calf crusher a number of times. And then things kind of turned around for Styles because the Fiend kept just distracting Orton throughout the rest of the match. It affected him for like a moment while Styles was taken out on the apron. Then we saw the apron DDT. Fiend shows up after that and distracts him enough. So AJ Styles can set up the phenomenal forearm for the victory. So next week, Presumably, the main event is going to be Keith Lee versus Riddle versus AJ Styles. Winner takes on Drew McIntyre at TLC. I have to think that AJ Styles is going to win. I think it's too soon for Riddle. It's definitely too soon for him, but I think Keith Lee should be like way down the road because I think you still have to spend time developing his character and his persona to be able to truly pull it off. But it was still a really like solid edition of Monday Night Raw, but a clunky star really turned me off for it a little bit on the WWE and how they just ruined another like what should have been a really solid show and start moving the ball forward towards what's going on as they go to TLC and more importantly the road to WrestleMania. Then I finally got around to watching Ring of Honor this week, and Ring of Honor was definitely interesting. I'm just going to go through one match in particular. And also one other headline that came out of that. It's the ROH Pure Rules Match. Go out of your way and find this thing. Like Go out of your way. Go watch Ring of Honor. I know we have it on Stadium, which Simon casts all the great shows that we have here on 103.7 The Game, like the uh, Bumper to Bumper Sports with Ben Love, Footnotes with Kevin Foot, and RP3 and Company, and also great programming like Ring of Honor Wrestling. I believe they played it like a couple hours in the morning. Then if you're a night owl like I am, You can actually watch it over there, or better yet, go check it out at ROHWrestling.com. This was probably one of my favorite—this is my favorite match of the week, no doubt, because it was such a great technical match and the way they built it. And again, this is something I I feel like people don't talk about enough in terms of the world of pro wrestling. It's all about kind of hyping up a match and building, like, why this is happening. And it starts off a really cool video package hyping up the contest story. Going into it is how— LSG is basically Leon St. Giovanni wants to establish himself against a veteran, understanding where LSG is coming from and talking about Samoa Joe taking him under his wing back in the day when he was the relative greenhorn. So having that story going into it is great. This is something I feel like, again, I talked about with MLW is the fact that I love seeing sports-oriented kind of play-by-play in pro wrestling. Again, we all know that it's predetermined, but making those win-losses matter and breaking them down, why Lethal may have won by split decision, breaking all that stuff down is absolutely perfect. And this was a great showcase for LG. I'd never really seen a match of his before, but I really dug how he was able to do different things, like like transition smoothly into submissions. And again, Lethal won by split decision. The match wanted to go into the time limit. And they explained maybe it was the fact he had the first rope break that was the edge. Honestly, I think I would have gotten to the LSG and decisively rather than like, have lead the win by split decision. Because I think at least for the final like 10 minutes of that 15-minute time limit, it was all LSG. He had so many different moves. He was able to kick like, different submissions in and really control the contest for probably 90% of it but this was without a doubt like my match of the week ring of honor this is November 23rd edition that dropped on they aired it on Monday on Fight TV for free and that's why I love that too the fact that they do that cuz i could just watch it and keep up with the product that way really solid match other things that came out of ROH this week involves you know Mike Bennett finally returning to Ring of Honor reuniting with The Kingdom member, Matt Taven, after he almost got attacked by Vinny Marcellia, where he basically had a dart was about to stab him, but nope. Saved the day is Mike Bennett. So I love the fact that the Kingdom looks to be back together again. That's going to be a lot of fun. And also you had the Allure get threatened by ROH reporter Quinn McKay. And if you've seen week by week, you know what I'm talking about because the Allure beat her up and then they wound up getting... Suspended indefinitely, so whenever they're coming back, that means you're going to see Quinn McKay back in in the wrestling ring instead of on commentary or in the ROH studio. So I really love the fact that they're working that together. So AEW Dynamite went down, and this was without a doubt a solid show that had probably one or two flaws. I'll get to those in a little bit, but I want to kind of run through the card Hangman Adam Page was a solid opener against John Silver. It was slow for the first couple minutes, but this is something I enjoyed. And it's something I continue to like a lot more about AEW versus you know WWE or any other program. It's like, give me right to the action. It went straight to business, coming out of the intro, just boom, you know what's going on. You already know this is the match is going to happen. These two put together a great effort. Adam Page gets the win after the buckshot lariat. Then the rest of the Dark Order comes out to try and recruit him again, like the callbacks to the past when Paige could have joined the Dark Order back in last year, and then obviously BTE, where basically they said, hey, I'm not going to do that. It was really cool. Like I love the fact that they actually are bringing this back into the mix. Then you go to the back, Kenny Omega, who's facing John Moxley next week, got a promo, mentions his dad, could probably be a Mox's dad. That was kind of the one thing that I just thought of. I was like, Why did we need to see the promo end like that? It was absolutely pointless. It's like you could have had the promo not end on that note, probably end a couple sentences before, and it would have made perfect sense. Then we get to a new version of Will Hobbs. Now he's called Powerhouse Hobbs, now that he's joined Team Taz, and he had a brand new look and everything. He had the singlet, the ECW Taz. I absolutely loved it. And it was a glorified squash of a guy who was a member of the Nightmare family. Hadn't seen him wrestle much before in a Powerhouse Hobbs. But his power moves absolutely impressed me. I'm looking forward to seeing what Powerhouse Hobbs can do. Probably going to be a breakout star in 2021. He's already kind of building himself up to that point. So this one's absolutely massive. And then Taz cuts an amazing workshoot promo. Again, this is another thing. Go check this out. This is probably my favorite promo all week. He asked for someone with management to come out there and legitimize the FTW title. The way they're working this angle is perfect. And I just love the fact that there was so much like, heat. His mic keeps getting cut off. He threatens to go to the announce table to do this. The Cody Rhodes comes out and they go back and forth. And then Cody brings up Taz's son Hook and how he's training which sets the legend off and puts him in the Taz mission. I could not believe they actually did this because you never were, you never saw it coming. It was perfect. And I love the – this was probably one of the best segments AEW did in terms of outside the ring, like a promo segment. This was so well done. It was perfect. And that's saying, because they have like so many great promo guys, I love the fact that they did this. And now it's going to build towards something with the Nightmare Family and Team Taz and maybe Hook versus Cody would be awesome, not going to lie. But it was so like nuts to think about this entire thing. It ruled. And then at the end, Hook is out there with a hoodie. First time we ever saw him. I didn't even realize like Taz had a kid that would be old enough to be in the sport of professional wrestling. So I love that idea in and of itself. Then we fast forward. Eddie Kingston cuts a promo on Death Triangle before getting cut off by Moxley, who basically assumes that Kingston, who he faced off with at Full Gear, for the title, attacked him last week, but nope, he says it wasn't him, and you know who it was. Then we get a really fun match that I think people aren't talking about enough, and it's top fly versus the hybrid two. Now I think this was just kind of that, that first match of many because these two have to be facing off a lot more after this, right? That's where I think this in game is. It's going to continue to be a story. It's going to continue to be a main event type attraction in the tag team division with TH2 and Top Flight, two very high-flying stars, two guys I love, Jack Evans and Helico in Lucha Underground, so I wouldn't be surprised if they put more effort on this. And this is going to be eventually top Flight's said big pet project for AEW because they're so young. And the Hyper 2 wound up getting the win by submission, which I was surprised about, but they put in a really good match together, and I want to see more of a long-term story between these two. <laughs> Maybe we see more of them down the road. Then we get to a match that I think it was largely skippable with Chris Jericho and Jake Hager versus SEU. It was fine, not a whole lot of juice here because SEU just has lost so much stock over the last like six months with Jericho and Hager getting the win. The SEU stock has dropped down significantly. After the match, Kaz attacks MGF, then it's a gang beat down until Scorpio Sky makes a save. Then we got to a segment about video games with Miro and Kip. They quickly turned into a Pier 6 brawl with them and best friends love the fact that they're doing segments like this where it's just